You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. abiding in Christ is so important. I can't emphasize that enough. Abiding in Christ. And verse 30 is huge because the same thing that God was asking Israel to do back here, God is asking us to do now. Repent and turn away from your transgressions. The only way to do that is to come to a cross where Jesus died on, confess your sins, Accept that sacrifice and move on. Do your failures ever seem so big that there is just no chance God would ever forgive you? The good news is He will always forgive you. He's always there, waiting for you. Keep close to Him. Stay open to Him. Today in this passage, Pastor Dave reminds us of how often He will forgive us over and over and over. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 12 as he continues his message, Different Kingdom, Same Results. And as we come into chapter 12, we see the name Jehoash, which is the same guy. The names now have been expanded for some reason. It's a variant of the name, but they're the same person. Let's read 1 to 3. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoiash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Verse 2 kind of implies that as long as Jehoiada was alive and counseling the young king, everything was rosy and cool. The king was following him. But once Jehoiada died, then everything goes crazy. In fact, if we read 2 Chronicles 24, 15 to 23, which I was going to, but we don't have to now, it tells us that when Jehoiada, when Jehoiada died, Joash or Jehoash turned to idolatry. He turned to idolatry that fast. And unfortunately, when he did that, judgment followed. And he will be judged. The one thing that sticks out for me in verse is verse 3. I'm following the Lord. I want to follow the Lord, but I'm only going to follow him halfway. Joash or Jehoash did not take down the high places where people sacrificed and burnt incense. This was directly against God's law. Where was the sacrifice supposed to take place? Where was the incense supposed to be burned? The temple. In the temple. No other place. No other place. Don't you remember Jesus and the woman at the well? Your people say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship up on that mountain up there. Remember, she was from Samaria, the high place, the mountain. All this was supposed to take in the temple of Jerusalem. And when they did this, this was against the law of God. It indicates that Jehoash implemented a halfway reformation, if you will. 
He didn't totally reform Israel's worship. He didn't, he, he didn't do the more difficult task. He did all the easy things. You know, and sometimes, you know, sometimes we make a half-stitch effort when serve the Lord. When it's real easy, oh, we're serving him with gladness because this is pretty easy. But when it gets real hard, uh, we kind of drag our feet and we don't serve him with such gusto and such fun as we used to because it's a little harder now. We make a halfway effort. We don't do a whole thing. I think that's crazy. We do the easy stuff, but we won't do the hard things when we're called to do hard things. And we're all guilty of it. No one of us can escape that. That's the human of us. We need a Lord. We need a Savior. So the Hoyas begins a strong to call repair for the temple. Look forward five. Then Jehoiash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated gifts are brought into the house of the Lord. Each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that is man's purposes in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord. Let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages to the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. The money of dedicated gifts. There was regular income coming into the temple. It came in many ways. The census money. Remember in Exodus 20, each man had to provide a shekel. Each man had to provide a shekel every year over 20. Every year they had to pay a shekel. That was called the census tax or the census tribute that went to the temple. There was assessment money. They had property tax. They had property tax that they had to pay according to Leviticus 27 too. And then they had tithes and offerings which came from their heart. Whatever they wanted to give to the Lord, their tithes and offerings. And, and, you know, and that's where tithes and offerings should come. Tithes and offerings should come from your heart. It should be between you and the Lord. I don't care what you give, but you should give because that's biblical. We should give us unto the Lord. If you have a lot, give a lot. If you don't have a lot, don't give a lot. Whatever the Lord shows you to give, you should give. This 10% is a great model, and it's Old Testament model. Why do I say that? Because the Lord wants it all. The Lord wants more. The Lord wants as much. But you got to get before the Lord. you got to sit before the Lord and say, how can I serve? How can I give back? What do you need? And the Lord will show you what to give. The Lord will show you what to give. And I guarantee you, you can't outgive the Lord. You cannot outgive the Lord. If you're not giving, you're probably struggling somehow, in your, maybe in your financial thing, because you think, oh, I can't give any money to the Lord. I don't have enough to go around. Well, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. You really need to seek the Lord for this, and you need to give what the Lord shows you and, and try to give. It's very, very important. And I don't say that. How many, this is probably the first time you ever heard me talk about money, simply because it's here. When it's in Scripture, we talk about it. It's here. So you need to get before the Lord and find out what he wants you to give. But this is what he's talking about. These three things coming into the temple, and Jehoiashem told the priest, take the money and repair the temple. Everything was going good. The reform policies were, policies were moving along. But the priest failed to do the job. Look at verse 6. Now, it was so by the 23rd year of the king Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages to the temple. <laughs> they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So they got a special box. I love this. They put a special box at the right side of the altar to collect money for the repairs. Look at 7 through 13. So King Jehoash called Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests and said to them, 
Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damage of the temple. And the priest agrees that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Then Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, bore a hole in it with its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the money put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was, whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribe and the priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave all the money which had been appropriated to the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. They paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and the masons and the stonecutters and the buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. So King Joash gets to the heart of the problem. It was poor administration, and it was financial mismanagement. So he has the priest to do something. They get this little box, they put it there, and they start collecting money, and they put it all in the box, and everything in the box is now used to repair the temple. So the temple becomes repaired. Let's look at 14 through 16. But they gave it to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require any account from the man in whose, into whose hand they had delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. And the money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. And that's how the priests got their money and so that they could live. Whew. But things begin to decline for King Joash, because by now Jehoiada was dead and he didn't have a counselor and he starts to show his true colors. He seems to abandon his faith. Now remember, his faith was shallow to begin with. He didn't have a strong faith anyhow, so it was kind of easy for him to abandon it and move away. But he had this big desire to please men. He had a big desire to please those who were around him. And something happens that he feels like, you know, I need to do something fast or we're going to be in big trouble. We, he gets a visit from our old buddy, King Haziel. Remember King Haziel? We talked about him for a couple of weeks now. Let's read 17 and 18. Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. This guy's crazy. Every time you turn around, he's attacking. Every single time you turn around, this guy is attacking. And remember, I think it was a couple incidents that the Lord had used him to chastise Israel. He had used him in different ways. Anyhow, then Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things of his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Azahiah, kings of Judah, and dedicated and his own sacred things and all the gold found in the treasury of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent them to Haziel, king of Syria. Then he went away to Jerusalem. What? So he buys them off. He buys them off. He doesn't go to the Lord. If he went to the Lord, I'm sure the Lord would have said, send your guys out for today. I'm going to give him in your hand. He doesn't go to the Lord to seek the Lord. He has no counsel because Jehoiada is gone. And he's kind of floundering now on his own. He doesn't know what to do. 
And he trades all these blessings, all these sacred things in the temple, just to protect his capital kingdom when he should have gone to the Lord. How many times do we act in haste? Give up something what we don't have to give up instead of going to the Lord. Instead of going to the Lord and asking the Lord for help, we choose to do it our own ways, and this is what's happening here. Judah had an inferior army, yes, but God also uses now Haziel one more time as an instrument of judgment to disobedient Joash. If you go back and read, we won't, but if you go back and read 2 Chronicles 24, you'll find out that during a battle, Jehoash is wounded outside of Jerusalem, and he comes back in. And that's why we read 19 through 21, the rest of this chapter. Now, the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the Milo, which goes down to Silla. For Josachar, the son of Shemeth, and Jehoshadad, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Sadly, there is no record of any repentance on the part of this king. We never read anything about his repentance, whether it's recorded here or in Second Chronicles. There is no repentance. It's very sad. He never came back or fulfilled his bright early promise. And what I wrote here in my heart, once again, we see somebody start out like a ball of fire. We see somebody start out really, really strong. They fizzle out. They just fizzle out. Turn to Ezekiel 18. Maybe Ezekiel was thinking of this when he wrote this in 24 through 31. Let's read this. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all abomination that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, it is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity in which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he committed, and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are not fair and your ways which are not fair? My ways are fair, your ways are not fair. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent. And turn away from your transgressions, so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and go and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Wow. Is that not still today? Is that not still today what we look at now? This is what someone wrote, and I want to share this. 
because it's important. Someone wrote this, quote, Although verse 24 raises difficulties in the New Testament context of the perseverance of the saints, such warnings must stand in Scripture. No person, believer or unbeliever, ever has the right to say, because I was righteous once, it does not matter what I am plunging into sin now. Unquote. I like that. We can argue about it, or we can be warned about it. I choose to be warned by it. I choose to be warned by it. This is why abiding in Christ is so important. This is why abiding in Christ is so important. I can't emphasize that enough. Abiding in Christ. And verse 30 is huge because the same thing that God was asking Israel to do back here, God is asking us to do now. Repent and turn away from your transgressions. The only way to do that is to come to a cross where Jesus died on, confess your sins, accept that sacrifice, and move on. But what if I fail miserably? Come back to the cross, repent, confess, and move on. Just because you failed, you will not put Christ back up on that cross. He did it once, done. It is finished. He won't get back up there. But that doesn't mean you can follow what's in here in Ezekiel. Repent, confess, and turn. Confess your sins. I've sinned. Forgive me, Lord, I've sinned. And then walk away. Move forward. Don't wallow in your sin. Don't self-flagellate and beat yourself up and, and all that kind of stuff. Move forward. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you say you're without sin, you make God out to be a liar. See, nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. I keep saying it. It's the same thing. It's the same concept. But we have it so much better than they. Because of Jesus Christ on the cross. So much better. Your iniquity won't be your ruin. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is I want us to finish well. Don't give up. Don't stop now. Don't rest back on your laurels and don't get overwhelmed by your mistakes. Move forward in the Lord. If you made a mistake, you've made a mistake. Repent. Confess. Move forward. God loves you. He always loves you. He continues to love you. He's not surprised when you've made that mistake, although you are. He's not surprised. That's why we need a Savior. We need to move forward in Him. Confess. He will lead you and guide you if reparation is needed or whatever. Whatever you're supposed to do, He'll guide you and lead you. But if you don't confess your sin, if you stay in the sin, you've got to read the Scriptures and decide what happens to you. You've got to read the Scriptures and decide what happens to you. I can't. But I'm trying to show you that you don't have to be concerned with that as long as you're abiding in Christ. When you're abiding in Christ, you never, ever question your salvation. When you're abiding in Christ and you're moving along and you your relationship with him is solid, you never question the fact that you're saved. But when you stop abiding in him and you venture out doing who knows what, all of a sudden you think, well, I must not be saved. Well, that's great. If the Spirit does that to you, you know what I tell you? Hightail it back to the cross. 
confess and move on. But what if I do it again? Hightail it back to the cross, confess and move on. That's what the scripture is saying. This is what we're being told right here, back in the Old Testament. We want to finish well, folks. The Bible is full of people who did not finish well. Who didn't finish well. We want to finish well. We want to hear those worlds, world done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We want to fight the good fight. We want to run the race to win. All those metaphors that, that Paul has used with his athletics. All those things, we want that to be ours. And it can be. It can be. Struggling? Call a brother or sister. Hurting? Call a brother or sister. You're about to do that sin? Call a brother or sister. I need help. If they're not home, call somebody else. Keep calling until you get somebody on the phone. Call somebody. I need help. I, want, I need you. Help me out. I'm going to fall into this sin. I don't want to fall into this sin. I can't control this sin. My urge is too great. But we don't. We make a halfway commitment. I'm yours, Lord. As long as everything's going rosy, I'm yours. Me and you. Woohoo! Yeah. Something goes crazy. Where are you, Lord? What's going on? No. See, I see that in all these kings that we go through. These kings, all they all had, they all were led of God. They were in David's line, and, and they all were led of God. And they're all anointed by God. He says he was anointed, which means they poured anointing. Anointing means the Holy Spirit. He was anointed. But he didn't follow through, and he finished poorly. He finished poorly. Don't finish poorly. Don't finish poorly, please. Finish well. Finish strong. I remember, you know, as a track runner, I remember running out of memory, 26 miles, 385 yards. Come to 24th mile, I was done. I was done. And we came across this aid station, and they came out, and they wanted to look in my eyes, and I wouldn't let them look in my eyes because they would pull me off the course because I was done. I was done. I was gassed. I could hardly take a breath, but I kept on going. But you know what? It was so cool because the finish line was in downtown Denver, and it was on the main avenue, and you could hear them cheering. And when I came up, now I was way back of the pack, gang, way back in the pack. But when I came up, I turned that corner, and there were all these people along the side and the big sign up there and the flashing lights, and I heard their cheers. Man, you would have think I was a 100-yard dash guy. Man, I ran like the boy. That's finishing well. That's finishing well. And you know what, guys? All those people along the side are the witnesses in Hebrews 12. That great cloud of witnesses that were surrounded. They're all going, come on, you can do it. Come on, keep the faith. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, keep going. Come on, the fence ends close. Come on. And that's what they're doing right now. They're encouraging you to continue on, to finish strong, to run the race like you're going to win. Even if you come in 110th, you're still a winner because of what he did on the cross. That's what we want to do. I want you to finish strong. I want us all to finish as strong as we possibly can. Run right into his arms. How great would that be? Finish strong. Amen. Our time with you today has come to an end on a sure hope. 
But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 2 Kings. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We gather each week for a time of worship and Bible study. Our service times are Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609 609- 884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more details. If you prefer email, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 2 Kings. We're looking forward to the next edition as Pastor Dave will share more from this Old Testament book about the rise and fall of many kings. There are lessons to be learned about leaders who were just people. May what you hear give you a sure hope. Oh